Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places close to our home. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Thanks for joining us on the Places Where We Go, where today we're leaving Rome, Italy, and going actually kind of right next door to Vatican City. So right next door? Well, like, literally. Yeah. Like in it almost you don't even have to leave Rome to get new lodging (laughs) vatican city is the smallest sovereign entity in the world with an area of just 121 acres and a population of under 1000 the independent state of vatican city came into existence in 1929 when the lateran treaty was completed between the holy see and italy and i didn't realize it was 1929 i thought it was a lot earlier than that when it became an independent sovereign state? Yeah. Nope. I mean, they, they existed, mm-hmm. but yeah. I didn't know when it, it be, actually became a state. And I thought it was much earlier than that, but apparently not. February 11th. So that means in just about seven years, so if somebody wants to do a lot of advanced planning, they could be there for the 100th anniversary. Oh, that in, would be really awesome. In 2029. Yes. Mark your calendars. Yes. For us, this was a must-see place, and we had had that on our bucket list before we even knew we had a bucket list. It is a place that offers so many different things and different sites that it's just an all-day type of event when you go to Vatican City. If you do put this on your itinerary, I would actually do an entire full day there. We went there several times, actually, when we were in Rome, and uh, we visited a lot of uh, religious and cultural sites, including St. Peter's Basilica, the Sistine Chapel, and the Vatican Museums and their gardens, which the gardens were absolutely gorgeous. They feature some of the world's most famous paintings and sculptures, some of them very, very old and We had the delight of seeing many of those. And we'll be talking about some of those famous places in more detail, like the Sistine Chapel, as we go along. So getting to Vatican City, if you're staying in Rome, getting to the Vatican is very convenient. It's just a metro right away. So if you find your way to Metro Line A, there's a few lines in Rome but you want Metro Line A, and then you're going to look for the closest metro stop to the Vatican, which is the Ottaviano stop. It was very easy. First, getting to Italy, I think it took a little bit of getting used to the different transportations, and especially the buses. The buses were a little bit difficult. But once we, the next day we got up and got going, it was it was really easy. We yep. didn't have a problem at all. I think all. most cities that we've been to with subways and metros like they have in Italy, Usually after like the first ride or two, you feel like a local. Yeah. And, and that's the way it felt for us when yeah, we were and, there. And I think it's intended that way. Yeah. I think it's it's made so you have a lot of stops along the way to get off in very designated places within Italy. 
And, you know, sometimes you do have to change your... You might have to get on a different line. Yeah, yeah. you might have to change your lines, but even that is not really that hard nope. and everything seems to be mapped out pretty well. Yeah. For Vatican City, it is very advisable if you are looking for a tour and you need tickets to get those in advance. There are several ticket options available to visit the Vatican. The basic ticket for discovering the Vatican Museum collection and the Sistine Chapel runs about 17 euros. You can also choose from several other packages. The Prime Experience, which is the package that provides entry into the Vatican Museum for one hour before the official opening time, a guided tour, and an American breakfast at the end of the tour, plus extended visitation time in the museums. That's your, your premier package right there. The Vatican tour options further include breakfast at the museum, guided tours for individuals, educational tours, and pilgrimage packages. So if you're interested in anything like that, you can check out their website and see which tour is best for you. And when you arrive at the Vatican, the first thing you're going to come across is the iconic St. Peter's Square. So this is the large plaza that's located just outside of St. Peter's Basilica. Both the square and the basilica are named after St. Peter, who was an apostle of Jesus and considered by Catholics to be the first pope. At the center of the square, you're going to see this large, tall, ancient Egyptian obelisk that has been at the site since 1586. And one interesting thing about the obelisk is it's the only obelisk in Rome that has not toppled since antiquity. Which is amazing. Yeah. So it has quite a history. Also in the square, you're going to see the architectural work of Gian Lorenzo Bernini. He's the gentleman who designed the square, including the massive Doric colonnades. They're four columns deep. And they embrace visitors in what's known as the maternal arms of Mother Church. There's also a granite fountain there, also constructed by Bernini, a very famous architect of Italian heritage. And occasionally, Mass is celebrated in the square, and there's been liturgies there that have accommodated up to 80,000 people. Yeah, that square is quite, it's very massively large. Yeah, so you want to take your time and just kind of admire the square before you go to one of the next stops, which will be one of the next few things that we talk about here. Mm -hmm. Many people do. Yeah. You'll see a lot of people just kind of hanging out of the fountain and sometimes there's wait time to get into things. So people just kind of hang out in the square. Yeah. Now we ended up doing some homework before we went. So there is some of the, no the normal things you could do at the Vatican, but we ended up making reservations for something that's a little bit difficult to get into. Yeah, it's a grotto that is underneath St. Peter's Basilica, and you absolutely need reservations for this. It is actually a necropolis, and it is sitting right under the altar of St. Peter, and it is where St. Peter's tomb is located. So we were very interested in uh, trying to get into this tour, and we did. Mm -hmm. And gratefully did. Visits are only possible following special permission that's granted from time to time by the Fabrica di San Pietro. So it's it's a entity that monitors and preserves this site. 
Because of this attempt to preserve this exceptional historical archaeological site, only 250 visitors per day are permitted to enter. And entry is limited to persons that are 15 years of age or older, and there are no exceptions. You'll get a guided tour. It lasts about 30 minutes. And if you get a reservation, because it is iffy, we suggest that you arrive early. And we are so glad that we took off early for this because we did have some difficulty finding the entrance for this tour. Yes, there's like the secret meeting place that yeah, you have to was, find. It, right? There was no signage. Yeah. You know, we were kind of wandering around the square and we knew that it was under St. Peter's Basilica. So we headed that way. You yeah, know, there was some general, general directions, vicinity, but yeah, yeah, like you said, I think the, there wasn't super clear signage. So getting there early sure helped a lot. Yes. yes. And so while we were waiting there, we got this great picture with the papal guards. So that was pretty cool too. Yeah. Very colorful papal guard. Yes. yes. They are wearing the same uniforms they've uniform they have worn for centuries. So in addition to St. Peter's burial spot there, there are also numerous tombs of various popes who have died over the centuries located in this basilica. Absolutely the most incredible part of, of our day there. There were some other wonderful places in, in Rome that we visited too, and some things that were outside of Rome that we visited, but this was a highlight for sure. They have this thing called the graffiti wall, and it is at that graffiti wall that his tomb is located. And you peer through this hole that they point out to see the graffiti wall and know that that's where his remains are. And you're just, I don't know, you're just taken somewhere else. It's yeah. just, it's just amazing. Yeah. I, I think like some of that graffiti says something to the effect of like Peter is here. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's, that's one of the reasons that they're yeah. sure he's there. Plus other historical yeah, documentation. Yeah. I believe the tomb is directly under where the main altar is it on is. top of the basilica. Yeah, Absolutely, right under. And the Vatican has been built up. So, you know, that's why you have this necropolis down below. So you will need advance tickets if you want to do this part of the Vatican. And the reservations will cost about 13 euro, which is pretty amazing mm-hmm. for what you see. That's, that's nothing. And this ticket is another way you can get into the Vatican Museums and the Sistine Chapel, which are valid for visiting on this ticket as long as you go on the same day. Mm-hmm. So pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty amazing stuff. So if going underneath the basilica to the area where St. Peter is buried, if that's of interest to you, you'll want to make sure that you arrange to try to get reservations. They're very, very hard to get. As you mm-hmm. mentioned, only 250 people a day. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, it's got to be like in the millions that visit the Vatican. It's a very, very small percentage of people who make it down to the necropolis. Right. When we were done visiting the grotto, we then went to St. Peter's Basilica. In fact, I think we ended up at the Basilica several times during our visit to Rome. But it's absolutely breathtaking. It's the largest church in the world as measured by interior space. There's an iconic canopy inside that sits over the high altar that was also created by Bernini. He ended up using bronze coverings from the ceiling of the Pantheon that was removed from that church in the 16th century. So I think either the last Rome episode or the one before that we talked about the Pantheon. So it's got this connection with the architecture to the Vatican. And there is 
many chapels inside as you walk around the basilica. And in fact, when you and I were walking through there, it's not uncommon to see priests who are visiting saying mass at the various side chapels. You know, one could be going on at one chapel, one's going on at another. Some of them are kind of private masses that are said. They could be said for a a group of, you know, a small amount of people. But that activity is going on inside. Mm -hmm. Which is one of the reasons that it is a working church. And mass does happen pretty often, either in a side chapel or the main chapel that's behind the high altar. So going into the basilica should be very respectful and quiet. Also inside, you're going to see many monuments of historic Catholic figures, and some of those, including the statues, they're huge. It's a place where, like you said, you, you, you need to be respectful. I found myself having lots of camera moments. Yeah. You almost can't help but do that. Yeah. Right. Among the works of art that are inside is Michelangelo's Pieta. And then you mentioned, Julio, you know, many of the tombs that are underneath the basilica that you can see when you take the grotto tour. In the main, in the main area of the basilica, there is also several tombs. Mm-hmm. We saw the, the tomb of John Paul II, which is one of nearly 100 tombs that are located mm-hmm. in the basilica. So the present-day Basilica of St. Peter was completed in 1626, which replaced the old St. Peter's Basilica. That one had previously been built in the 4th century by Roman Emperor Constantine the Great. So there's been a basilica on this site for over 1,600 years. Mm -hmm. So super long history. As a work of architecture, it's regarded as the greatest building of its age. The dome that sits on top of this basilica is the tallest such architectural feature in the world. And... The basilica has the fingerprints of the great Michelangelo throughout its structure. Mm -hmm. And when you stand in the square and you look at St. Peter's Basilica and that dome, I mean, it's just massive. Yeah. The greatness of it just kind of looms over you, and it's just, it's amazing. It's an amazing building. It really is. When I see sites like this, and again, you know, I think back to when it was built, which, you know, what was it, early 1600s Mm -hmm. or so? Yeah. Mm And I think about what people had to work with from a technological standpoint. They didn't have any of the modern machinery that we have access to today. And be it this basilica or the Duomo in Florence, there's like some of these amazing buildings that you can see when you go to Italy that were just crafted with, compared to today, rudimentary tools. And they created some of the most magnificent architecture that we are able to witness in the world. Stuff that we don't build with the modern tools that we have today. Right, right. Yeah. So just a, a few final notes on the Basilica itself. It is not the mother church of the Catholic Church, and it is not the cathedral of the Diocese of Rome. Both of those titles are held by the Archbasilica of St. John Lateran in Rome, which, which we, also, we went to. Yep. But it still is regarded as one of the holiest Catholic shrines in the world. And... If you enjoy going to places that receive UNESCO World Heritage Site designations, the Basilica of St. Peter received just that designation back in 1984. So let's talk about the day we went for the Vatican Museum tour. It was kind of a hot day, I remember. It was was warm that day. And we walked up and we saw a line. And it was along the fortress wall of the Vatican. 
And it looked like you were waiting for a ride to get onto a popular Disneyland ride. Yes. It was so long. <laughs> and we had tickets. We had tickets. Yeah. But everybody had tickets, didn't they? I don't know. All I know is we had tickets and we were in this incredibly long line in the morning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But we had returned in that area after we had lunch, I believe, and yeah. we had found that the line looked way shorter. So I think most people are trying to get into the Vatican Museum tours in the morning, and it might be better to wait maybe a little bit longer and then try to get in later, but then you have less time at the museum. Yeah, I mean, and that's the way it's seen when we were there. It's, it's kind of, it reminds me of when we went to Bath, England, and we went to the Roman Baths mm-hmm. in the morning. Same situation, you know, the, the lines were ridiculously long. And by the time we were in that same area after our lunch, people were walking right in. Yeah. So yeah. so that might be a tip for visit getting to the museums yeah. if, if you want to avoid standing in a long line for a long time. Our tour included the Pio Clementino Museum, the Gallery of the Candelabras, the Gallery of the Geographical Maps, the Gallery of the Tapestries, the Raphael Rooms, and the Sistine Chapel. As I said, we'll discuss a little bit more. It had incredible artwork throughout this museum. It was just eye candy. It was just beautiful. And some of them quite old. It was very impressive. And the church sees art as a tool of evangelization. So these pieces of art, the music, the architecture of the church, the sculptures, all the paintings, is something that the church used to try to explain the faith to its people. So you're always, when you look at it, you always look at it in terms of what is it trying to say. And uh, if you are Catholic, you can pick out certain things within those artworks that catch your eye. You're like, oh, I, I know what that's about. That's about this teaching or that's about that teaching. Even the ceilings had artwork all over it. Walking down that one hallway, I think it was tapestry hallway, mm-hmm. And the ceilings were all decked out and had artwork all over it. And you just didn't, it's like, you didn't know where to look. I remember looking up and and hoping I didn't bump into anybody because it was just gorgeous. You end up looking everywhere. It's it's just all over. It's everywhere. The entry to the uh, Vatican Museums, the Sistine Chapel and St. Peter's Basilica and the garden area is permitted only to appropriately dressed visitors, sleeveless or low-cut Shirts or garments are not looked favorably upon. Well, they're not permitted. Yes, they're not permitted. I was trying to be nice. I'm just going to cut to the chase. Okay, okay. Uh, Shorts above the knee, not permitted. Mini skirts, not permitted. And you are not supposed to wear hats. I myself, when I was in the Basilica, did have a veil on, and that is permitted. Um, The requirement of this type of decorum also extends to any visible personal object that you are wearing or have on you, a.k.a. a tattoo, that may offend Catholic morality and its teachings and its common decency. So be aware that if you have something that is very anti-Christian or offensive, that you may be asked to cover it up. Or, or you, you know, put a jacket on, whatever you need to do. So Yeah, or you risk not being able to go right, inside. Right. 
and they do have people who are watching out for that. So before you visit, you do want to look at the codes, the regulations mm -hmm. for visiting and just mm -hmm. make sure you're in compliance because, you know, it would be unfortunate to think you're going to, you know, spend a day there and then be denied entry because your attire wasn't in alignment with what's acceptable. Right, and, yeah. and it's very reasonable for the church to ask. They don't have to provide these tours. They don't have to open up the basilica for people like, you know, for just anybody that wants to come in. So it's a, a gift that's given to people, and they need to respect what the teachings are of the church. So the tour was... Just over two hours. Overall, there are 26 museum areas listed on the Vatican's museum website. So your tour time can vary depending on which ones you're able to visit. Yeah. So one memory I have of our visit to the Vatican, you mentioned that when we went there, it was a hot day. Yes. It was like toward the end of summer, early fall. It was hot. And I just remember as we were on our tour being thirsty. Mm-hmm. And hoping that as we turned a corner, I would come across a water fountain. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And went down a corner, no water fountain. Hot, hot, hot. Jeez, I want some water. Kept walking. Is there a water fountain? No water fountain. So tip is if you're going to be there on a hot day, get your fluids before you get in. I'm not sure if they allow you to bring in a water bottle. They might. That, again, that would be one of the things I would look at on the website. But mm -hmm. just know that there's not... At least when we went, there was not water fountains along the length of the tour. Mm -hmm. So if you think you're going to be in need of refreshment, plan accordingly. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Rome gets some hot days. It does. Yeah. yeah very much so. So at the tail end of the museum tour, we went to the Sistine Chapel. That was interesting. Yeah, it was. So a couple of things about the Sistine Chapel, just in terms of what it is. This famous chapel inside the Vatican has served as a place of religious and functionary papal activity since the late 1400s. It's the site where the papal conclave happens, and that's the process by which a new pope is selected. And the fame of the chapel, from the artistic and architectural standpoint, lies in its frescoes that decorate the walls, the ceilings, everywhere you look, including the Last Judgment, which were created by Michelangelo. I remember, I, I think I had a certain expectation when we were going yeah, to did. visit yeah. this. I was picturing in my mind this sacred place, a quiet place, a place where we were going to be able to like admire and reflect mm -hmm. on the things that we were seeing, which you know we were able to see everything. But the thing that's, I guess it took me by surprise is it was so loud. There was too many people in there. Yeah. Ton of people. Yeah. And it, it was loud. People were talking at the, the highest voice that yeah. they could. And I think something about the acoustic in that space yeah. just made whatever the, the noise level was in there yeah. seemed maybe even louder than it naturally well, even was. Even the docent came out and very sharply started yelling at people to be quiet, clapping his hands and saying, you be quiet, be quiet. Yeah. And they didn't. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was very interesting. Also, during our visit, there was no photography allowed. It's probably the same. Yeah. So I imagine that probably hasn't changed. So again, if you're going to want to plan on having photography during your trip, you're going to want to know where you can versus where you cannot have your camera or phone accessible for photos. Mm -hmm. So anything else about Sistine Chapel? 
I still was impressed by seeing these very, very famous frescoes of Michelangelo. And you can't help but be impressed with yeah. that. And there's very famous fresco scenes on these walls that you see throughout art books and in a lot of different paintings that have been replicated of this famous fresco. And to actually see it firsthand, no matter what, how loud it was in there, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Now, I don't know, when you mentioned the various tours that are available and there was like a primo package, if any of the tours there allow access to the Sistine Chapel with a good explanation of what you're seeing in there, I would say that that would be worth looking into. Mm Because I think when we went there, it was at the end of the tour, and I kind of just remember it as we were kind of led into the Sistine Chapel, and then you had some time to look at it, but we didn't benefit from a detailed explanation of what we were seeing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that would have been beneficial. Not sure if that's offered. If it is, I would seek that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they do have tours of the Vatican Garden available too, but you do have to reserve that also. We did go back to the Basilica on Sunday because we're Catholic, and so we went to attend Mass on Sunday morning. It was one of those things that was, I guess as a Catholic, it made me very happy that we were able to to go there on a Sunday and actually celebrate uh, the liturgy there. Kind of a dream come true type of thing. It's almost like as a Catholic, it's like one of those things you should do once in your life. Yeah, yeah. And, And we did. Yeah, and so it was it was a, a beautiful and an amazing experience and we were surrounded in the basilica by all that artwork and the pipe organ which is always in, within that space was mm-hmm. amazing. It was just amazing. Lots and lots of reverb. The cantor was singing and I believe I don't know if they were mic'd or not. I don't remember. But I just remember the sound of the cantor was beautiful too. So it was just one of those incredible moments that we experienced there at the Basilica. And it was almost, like I said, being Catholic, it's one of those things that Catholics desire to go to Rome, to Vatican City as a pilgrimage. And we, we had finally experienced that. So it was, it was really very nice experience to have. We didn't know when we went to Mass if there would be like people milling about because they always let people, visitors in. And during the Mass, when we were there, but the area was roped off. And so it kept the liturgy separate from the tourists that were walking about. And there were, I don't know if there were docents or, or there were people there that were keeping people from just walking into that chapel area where Mass was being said. Mm-hmm. So that kept it very separate. And like we said, it was really, really hot during our visit there. But we had a chance to experience what they call the Novus Ordo Mass in Italian. So it's the Novus Ordo is done in, in its place's own vernacular, their own language. So we heard it in Italian, and we had a wonderful experience with the organist and listening to that. And the cantors were beautiful to hear, and it just made the liturgy really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So if you're Catholic and you get a chance to get to Italy, attending Mass at St. Peter's Basilica, I think is a a must-do at least once in your life. Mm -hmm. So that's an idea of some of the things that you can experience at the Vatican. Like you mentioned, Julie, I would give it a full day Mm -hmm. because it'll keep you busy from the time you get there till the time that the sun goes down. 
And when we were done, we were still staying in Rome. And while we talked about what we did in Rome for the last two episodes, we didn't talk about some of the logistics. So we're going to take this time just to hit up some of those and um, talk about a few things that may be helpful for you planning a trip to the city of Rome. So for lodging, we ended up staying at a hotel called the Prime Hotel Principe Torlonia. And if I remember, I'll put that information in the show notes. This place ended up being about 18 minutes by bus from the Termini station. So it wasn't in the heart, heart of Rome. It was enough away to be kind of in a quieter area. We were by some of the embassies. Some mm-hmm. There were some country embassies nearby where we were. Mm-hmm. But it was very accessible walk to the metro, and it easily got us to the center of Rome, to the Vatican. It was very easy to get around. It was really nice, very clean, very yeah. nice. It was, it was in a historical building, so that was kind of neat. Yep. We enjoyed breakfast there every morning. I just mm-hmm. One of the things I remember about this place, I think still to this day, the best Americano coffees I've ever had were at this hotel. Oh, you still, wow. Yeah. They were my benchmark for Americanos. <laughs> so that, that was a, a good lodging. Yeah. And it is air conditioned, which is really kind of nice when you go there in the summer. To get around, as we had mentioned, uh, there's the Termini station, and that was the central hub for the trains. And that was supplemented by the metro stop. So that's the easiest way to get around yeah. And so Rome. we had no car. Mm-mm. We just used our feet. We used the buses and we used the metro. Mm-hmm. And I think once a train. Yeah, once a train because we went to another city. We did. It's yeah. the city we're going to talk about on our yeah. next episode. Yep. So we can't leave you without talking about food. One of my favorite things to talk about. We have some highlights. One of the things that we were kind of amazed at was how good the pizzas were in Italy. And I would say different from what we're accustomed Very to. Very different. Yeah. It tasted different. It just was so good. Yeah. So like here in this, at least where we live in Southern California, a typical pizza, your average pizza that you get, seems to be very cheesy, very greasy. Not everywhere is like that, but yeah. but there's a lot of... More places than not seem to have that kind of a pizza. We have a different kind of pizza. But in Italy, we found that the crusts were, generally, they were thin. They had very little tomato sauce, if sometimes none, Mm -hmm. and just didn't have a lot of cheese on them. But the flavor in them was just amazing. Yeah. There's almost more emphasis on the toppings, I think. Yeah. And those were the flavors come from. And it was just, it was wonderful. And the crust was really, really good, too. So we would say experiencing Italian pizzas and probably several of them is a must do when it you comes You did have a bad pizza experience. I had though. one bad pizza experience. So there was one night when we were coming back from somewhere on a train, we were hungry. I wanted a slice of pizza and we ended up coming across this small stand at the train station and I just wanted a slice of pizza. They supposedly had margarite pizzas, so they said. And the young lady who was serving the pizza, while everybody else we were coming across was really nice, I ended up dubbing this lady the pizza bitch. (laughs) She didn't speak English, but we knew she was being bitchy because bitchy translates into every language. She took my money. 
She said something we couldn't understand, threw the piece of pizza in a box and gave us an arrivederci. And after I got my pizza, it was like, oh, by the way, it wasn't even a marguerite pizza. So, and, and it was also super greasy. It was like one of those, like with the worst American pizza that's like oozing with grease. That's what it was at the train station. So I would say if they still have the pizzas at the Termini station, get your pizzas anywhere but there. Mm-hmm. Because we did not have a good experience. Right. So there you go. That's my pizza story. One of uh, the tips that we have is about water. Now, we had mentioned at Vatican City when we were taking the tour that there was no place to get a drink of water. but Inside the museums. Inside the museums, yeah. right. But throughout the city, there are these water spouts. And these water spouts are meant for you. It's drinking water. And it's meant for you to fill up your water bottles. So if you have a water bottle with you, you can easily go to these these spouts, fill up your water, and off you go. And uh, you don't have to worry about getting too thirsty along the way. When we did sit down and to eat or, or just when we grabbed bottled water, what was the biggest type of water that we found in Italy? It was seltzer water. I mean, that was like every time we had a meal, that's what they would ask you. Would you like, you know, water? And if you got water, it was going to be seltzer water or mineral water. They don't just give you regular water. Yeah, you can get that. But we, had, we, we ended up drinking a lot of the we seltzer. We liked it, though. Yep. We really loved it. Yep. Or you get wine. Those are the those are the two things that are the biggest. We drank a lot of that yeah. too. <laughs> Something you need to know about the cafes and the coffee shops in the area. There is a standing versus sitting situation. You might be invited to take a seat. Take a seat. They'll tell you, come on in, have a seat, have a seat in the coffee shop. But we learned very quickly that if you sit, that Your cappuccino is going to be much more money than if you just stand. And they'll get pushy. They're going to tell you, have a seat, have a seat. You just hold your ground and you say, no, 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 just give me my coffee and you go. Have it standing up. You you just stand up and drink it. Yeah, you'll pay less unless you want the sitting experience. Yes, yes. yes. But then you get to pay for that. But just know that it's going to be more money. Yeah. The best dinner memory that I had was when we were by the Trevi Fountain. We found this beautiful little Italian restaurant, and we had got sea bass. And it was interesting. We had no idea when when we ordered sea bass how it was going to be prepared. So they brought the sea bass to the table, and they began to clean it right there in front of us. And that was really kind of a cool experience. In our town... This this was a tiny little hole-in-the-wall restaurant. Yeah. Very good, though. It was really good. At the Market Broiler in Simi Valley, they don't clean your fish in front of you or prepare the fish in front of you. <laughs> yeah, so, but it was so cool because we were yeah. sitting by the Trevi Fountain and we had this nice meal prepared for us. And it was just really, really kind of the iconic, romantic, mm-hmm. Italian setting yep. uh, for Bo- for couples. Bottle of cool. wine, yep. tiramisu for dessert, yeah, or gelato. I think it was gelato, gelato. tiramisu yeah. flavored, yeah. But you need to try, when you're there, you have to try the gelato. You need to try the tiramisu. And if you're going to have a sit-down meal, seafood and risotto. Mm -hmm. The risotto is amazing there. Another one of those foods that I found prepared differently in Italy than in the States. Yeah, it's really good. So some other tips for visiting in Rome. Some of these may also apply to other parts of Italy. Tickets. So for most attractions, 
in the city of Rome, I would suggest get your tickets in advance and make sure you have your ticket confirmations before you get to Rome. We had one scenario where I thought we had tickets for something. I didn't get my confirmation and that turned out to not happen for Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. That was one of our day one things. Museums, as is common in many areas, most museums in Rome are closed on Mondays. So when you're planning your itineraries, just be aware for any Monday that you're there that you may need to do something other than a museum. Plan accordingly when you're packing. We went in the summer months, so we we knew it was going to be warm. So we had to pack according to that. You do a ton of walking. We do a ton of walking. And I think most tourists that you end up doing quite a bit of walking to the different places that are more iconic. It's a great walking city. And I think it's one of the best ways to get experience. Yeah. And and a lot of these places, especially if you're going into churches, will require certain kind of dress codes. So I found that for the walking, that skirts were the best, like long skirts were the best thing and some nice walking shoes. I did end up getting some blisters. That first day was a little rough on me. And um, I was wearing pants. The pants just really wreaked havoc on my legs. And the next day I wore a skirt and it was like night and day. It was just, it was just wonderful. So skirts are great. You know, those walking shoes, have them kind of broken in. Don't break them in while you're there. Bring something that's already broken in because there is a lot of walking on stone and hard surfaces. So you, you, you get your feet get pounded quite a bit. The next tip is about bus etiquette. So we don't often take buses at all where we live, but learned in Rome that if you want to get on a bus, you have to flag it for it to stop. So initially, we just kind of stood there thinking the bus was going to stop when we were at the bus stop, and it just whizzed by. And then we saw what the locals were doing, and they were flagging, you know, waving their hands at the bus, and that's apparently the signal to tell the bus driver you want it to stop. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, When you leave, if you are leaving maybe some little furry friends behind, we had two dogs at the time, and one of the dogs ended up having an emergency. And we did not leave for my poor daughter, any cash when she had to take our our pup to the emergency vet. Even so if we it did, was, it we, was very stressful for her. Yeah, even if we did, we not we would not have thought to leave as much as she needed. Yeah, she ended up with you know a, a almost two thousand uh, dollar surgery. So yeah, it was a little surprising. Yeah, but the point yeah. of this is if you're going to be going away for a couple of weeks or more overseas. You may want to leave access to cash for someone who's watching your place, watching your animals, just in case there's an emergency. Because we've had on several occasions, several trips, we've had pet emergencies more than once, other things that have happened. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. giving people the ability to take care of things while you're gone, I think is just a good travel tip. Yeah. And the last tip we have is to capture the stories of your trip. So this was that is a really good tip. Yeah. Listen to this one, folks. So what we ended up do, what we started to do on our Italy trip, and we've done ever since, just about every place we visited, is at the end of our day, and even when we're super tired, we try to take about 10 minutes or so, we set up the, the camera on video mode, and we'll just sit down and recap our day, 
kind of tell the story for ourselves of what we experienced, what happened, what were the highlights. And that's been kind of neat in the years following to go back and re-listen because we don't always remember all those details. And then you go back and, you know, four years later, six years later, you you pull up the video from a trip to someplace and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I can't remember that happened. There's always like right. funny anecdotes that we end up sharing. So I think most people, you know, you take will take photos. Some will take videos. I would also say, you know, capture your personal story because it's nice years later to go back and revisit what you experienced in your own words. And it's easy to do. How about some fun facts? Let's talk about some fun facts. There is an ATM at Vatican City with instructions in Latin. This belongs to the Vatican Bank, and this is the only ATM in the world that has instructions in Latin. The Vatican owns a telescope in Arizona in the United States. So as light pollution increased in Rome, it became increasingly difficult for the Vatican to use their observatory, which is located 15 miles outside of the city. So in 1981, the Vatican purchased a state-of-the-art telescope that sits on Mount Graham in southeast Arizona. And there is quite a, an interesting, just as a side note, interesting history of the church and their footprint in science. Mm-hmm. And this is connected to that, but that, that's a whole other discussion. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. right. The Vatican has its own army. It's known officially as the Pontifical Swiss Guard, and the army is only 135 people strong. They wear a uniform that looks like it hasn't been changed since the Renaissance, but they do have modern military training. The Vatican has the world's shortest railway. With just two tracks at 300 meters and one station, the Vatican's railway network is the shortest in the world, and they use it for importing goods and for ceremonial purposes, though there are no regular passenger trains scheduled. The Vatican drinks more wine than anywhere else in the world. Who knew? (laughs) The average Vatican resident consumes 54.26 liters of wine every year, giving this country the highest wine consumption rate per capita in the world. There you go. Our last fun fact is that Vatican City, which is really a, a sovereign country, is the only UNESCO World Heritage country in the world. So the entirety of the Vatican gets the UNESCO designation. So that wraps up a look at Vatican, and this will also wrap up our time in Rome. We have more to come on visiting Italy. When we get together next time, we'll take you to a different city that we visited in that country. If you have questions on traveling to Italy, drop us a line. We'll answer from our experiences. And uh, again, we'll get together next time, take you to another place. If you're not subscribing to us yet, take a minute to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite source of podcasts and catch our future episodes. And we really appreciate it if you left a review for us. And don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, which is the places where we go, where we share our travel adventures most weeks. And we absolutely appreciate it if you hit the subscribe button there too. So thanks for joining us on The Places We Go, and we will see you soon. 
If you have any comments or information to share with us about travel, you can write to us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram as The Places Where We Go. You can find us on Twitter as The Places Where One, the number one. And you can watch our travel adventures on YouTube, where our channel name is The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at The Places Where We Go. See you next time. Bye now.